This program is brought to you by the Practicing Law Institute, a nonprofit learning organization dedicated to keeping attorneys, professionals, and accountants at the forefront of knowledge and expertise. As a profession, accounting dates back to the days of the agricultural revolution, with city-states developing as ancient humans transitioned from a hunter-gatherer lifestyle to one of domestication and trade. Early systems of account were used by local scribes and governments to keep track of goods, debts, and harvest yields for city planning and other purposes related to commerce. From those early days of civilization, the beginning of what many consider the modern system of accounting was published in 1494 by Franciscan friar Luca Pacioli in his seminal work, Summa de Arithmetica, Geometria, Proportioni, and Proportionalita. Enter double entry accounting using debits and credits to account for the multi-party trading occurring in the time of merchant trade in Europe. It may not be too big a leap to connect changes in accounting to changes in human history. With the onset of the Industrial Revolution, systems of account again moved from a tally of goods exchanging hands to a method of tracking production and forecasting inputs and outputs in the newly designed manufacturing processes. In the late 19th and early 20th century, this evolution to include management accounting under the broader accounting umbrella led to the sharing of ideas and practices between individual accountants. That connection between accountants, debating methods and discussing lessons learned, led to the forming of an institute similar to many other professions around the turn of the century. That institute, known as the AICPA, has led the accounting and finance profession through the 20th and 21st century in its mission to, quote, drive a dynamic accounting profession ready to meet the demands of a constantly changing, disruptive world. Since its inception, the AICPA has gone through many transformations to adapt to a dynamic environment. Most recently in 2017, through a joint venture with the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants, or SEMA, the AICPA created the Association of International Certified Professional Accountants. The AICPA, through the association, plays many crucial roles for its CPA and CGMA members. As we continue our accounting summer school during these episodes of the Insecurities Podcast, and during what seems to be another period of significant change and realignment due to the evolving technology and the shifting market requirements for accountants, we sit down with Tom Hood, Executive Vice President for Business Growth and Engagement at the Association, to talk about where the AICPA has been, what its focus is now, and how the AICPA, through its partnership with SEMA and the Association, is leading the profession into the future, today on Insecurities. Hello and welcome to the Insecurities Podcast. Keeping it fresh and staying wonky on the latest securities, regulatory, and enforcement developments with a practitioner's perspective on the stories you should be following. As always, I'm Chris Ekimoff and I'm here with my co-host, Kurt Wolf. It's good to be with you, Chris. Good to be back at Accounting Summer School. It's going to be a good one. I'm excited for this one because I know I'm going to learn a lot. But man, I feel like we are going to a next level of acronym bingo, buddy. I mean, right. you, you ticked <laughs> off a lot. I know not. And, and then there was that little Latin lesson there in the middle of your Amen. intro. But <laughs> we're going we're gonna to be learning. I'm actually going to tick through a couple of these acronyms really quickly. I know you're going to give us some context for them later, but I don't want anybody, mostly me, to get confused. So, all right. So we've got the AICPA, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. Chris, we've talked about that 
organization before. Today, just a little bit of shorthand, we're going to refer to it as the Institute. Separately, there is the Association of International Certified Professional Accountants. Today, we'll refer to that as the Association. Chris, you mentioned up top the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants, or SEMA. You also mentioned the CGMA. You didn't drop in a definition for me there. The rest I'm, of the episodes for I, her. I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's <laughs> not the Coast Guard Mutual Assistance Program. Right. But we're, yeah, yeah. We're we're thinking about the Chartered Global Management Accountant designation. That's right. So anyway, just wanted to to orient our listeners a little bit up top. Make sure everybody knows what and who we're talking about. But with that, we've got an excellent guest today, and I want to give a little bit of background on him before we dive into it. Tom Hood is an internationally recognized leader in the accounting and CPA slash CGMA fields, holding various leadership positions in the profession over the past 30 years. He has been named as a most influential person in accounting by Accounting Today magazine for 15 years and is currently ranked second among the most influential accountants. Tom was also one of the first thought leaders inducted into the Accounting Hall of Fame by CPA Practice Advisor. He currently serves as the Executive Vice President for Business Growth and Engagement at the Association of International Certified Professional Accountants. Prior to joining the association, Tom spent 24 years as CEO of the Maryland Association of CPAs. Tom also founded and leads the Business Learning Institute, a learning and talent center facilitating the development and sharing of competencies and strategic knowledge required for leadership in today's rapidly changing business environment. Prior to his work with the MACPA, maybe that's MACPA, I don't know, and BLI, <laughs> Tom earned his CPA stripes as a management accountant and CFO in the manufacturing industry. Tom is also a world traveler and a fiery and fierce supporter of all things Baltimore, Maryland, and the Mid-Atlantic. Tom, we are very excited to have you on the program. Welcome to Insecurities. It's awesome to be here with you, Kirk and Chris. Looking forward to it. Awesome, Tom. And full disclosure to our listeners out there, I uh, thankfully got to meet Tom about 11 years ago through the AICPA Leadership Academy, which we talked with uh, Gretchen Pisano a few episodes ago about about that academy and some of the things that the AICPA does for its membership and helps to foster those leaders down the road, which we'll get into with Tom throughout our episode today. But as we always do on insecurities, let's try to take hundreds of years of accounting history and boil it down to a few minutes to keep Kurt's attention. As I hinted to in today's intro, the AICPA actually started around 1887 through a predecessor organization called the American Association of Public Accountants, or AAPA. This group merged with a similar association, the Federation of Societies of Public Accountants, in 1905. Basically, from then through 1957, that evolving society merged with many other accounting groups that formed during the early 20th century, such as the American Institute of Accountants, the American Society of Certified Public Accountants. Kurt, if you thought the acronym bingo was bad with where we are now, I can't imagine having to shuffle those those cards back then. <laughs> uh, the AICPA, the Institute, as it is named today, that name was assumed in 1957. And that continues on, as many of us known as the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants as it stands today. Now, to get into a little bit of the brass tacks here with the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants that in 2011 entered into a joint venture with the AICPA to unite and strengthen the accounting profession globally, right? The AICPA up to that point 
much more of a focus on the domestic states here in the U.S. Uh, through that joint venture with SEMA, the CGMA designation was born. The Chartered Global Management Accountant designation is now the most widely held management accountant designation in the world, with more than 137,000 designees, Tom and myself included. Kurt will send you the study materials here after the episode. It was established in 2012 to recognize a unique group of management accountants who have reached the highest benchmark of quality and competence. While both organizations, the Institute and SEMA, continued to collaborate throughout the joint venture in 2016, the memberships of those groups approved the creation of a new global association, Kurt, as you mentioned, the association, to represent public and management accounting throughout the world. So that's a breakdown of the acronyms and the organizations. What does the AICPA do exactly? Its three-part mission includes education for its members, the development and grading of the uniform CPA exam, which we'll talk a bit about today, and the promulgation and enforcement of professional standards for its membership. The AICPA is a self-regulatory organization while also providing important networking and learning opportunities for its members. The uniform CPA exam is an internationally recognized milestone in any accountant's career. And you can see a little bit off screen here, Kurt and Tom, I've got my CPA certificate hung on the wall behind me. And that designation is one that's held with significant respect and value in the market. Besides providing great podcast content, CPAs are out there doing the Lord's work to provide a security, assurance, and trust in the public markets. The AICPA helps uphold the CPA credential through its administration of that exam and its enforcement of the professional standards of its members, as well as focusing on some specialized credentials. And just a quick laundry list here, the ABV credential for those accredited in business valuation, the CEIV credential for those certified in entity and intangible valuations, the CFF credential, those certified in financial forensics, a hot topic here on insecurities, the CITP credential for certified information technology professionals, and relatively new, the PFS credential, the personal financial specialist focused on financial planning issues. There are also myriad certificate programs offered by the AICPA as well as by SEMA through the association, including focuses on things like non-for-profits, the topic of Islamic finance, and employee benefit plans, to name a few. Regardless, the AICPA fulfills its mission to more than, Kurt, get this, 689,000 members, students, and engaged professionals. And last to note, as Kurt, you talked about up front, we've got a few different delineations here, the Institute, the Association, SEMA. I guarantee we will always get them right. And, and Tom, I know you know them like the back of your hand. And Kurt, that guarantee holds true because we will be editing out every mistake we make here on the <laughs> podcast. So... That's as much as I want to get into the background of kind of what the practitioner sees from the AICPA for its from what the practitioner sees for the AICPA, the association, and SEMA. Kurt, let's get to Tom and start hitting him with the hard questions. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the for the background, Chris. I'm sure most of that was right, but we're gonna let Tom, you know, jump in here and get us back on track. You know, Tom, we've sort of heard Chris's practitioner's perspective. He's out there in the trenches doing this work every day. But you're you're walking the talk in your new role with the association. So just tell us a little bit about what the association is focusing on in today's accounting landscape. So, Kurt, the the short answer is a lot. Let me just tell you a couple of the, what I think are the top priorities at the association. And number one is certainly the pipeline of CPAs in light of the talent shortage that is across the entire globe, but certainly in our profession. Keeping up to date on auditing and accounting standards, maintaining and improving audit quality, 
equipping our profession for the future with both skills and understanding the latest technologies. These are some of the major things among a whole bunch that we're working on. But I want to add to that the foundation, which is our purpose to transform the accounting profession, powering trust, opportunity, and prosperity. Excellent, Tom. And, and I, I, those are really things we'll talk about a bit more today that help engender or embolden the, the, the CPA and CGMA members of the association and, and the institute, as well as SEMA across the board. One of those milestones we talked about up front is that uniform CPA exam. It is a well-known focus of all young CPAs. Many firms actually provide a a stipend or a bonus for those who study and pass that exam early in their career. So all of you young accountants out there listening, be sure to check in with your firms to see if that's part of the program for you. It's also, you know, one of those often not derided, but just acknowledged difficulties, you know, for an, for a young accountant to garner the knowledge and, and pass that exam. And, and Tom, I want to hear from you. Can you share the objectives of the AICPA's role in developing and grading that exam? And then also weigh in on if it is in fact, which I believe, harder than the bar exam that Kurt took in Virginia. I think, Kurt, what was the passing score that you just squeaked by? Uh, 100. Oh, 100. 100. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, we'll have to Out check of, on the I don't know what, part of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, please talk to us about the exam. The exam is actually a collaboration between the Institute, NASBA, the National Association of State Boards of Accountancy, and Prometric, which is the online exam provider. Now, keep in mind that every exam is administered by the state boards of accountancy where the legal requirement is established. That's much like the bar. And, and that's, so that's where it is. So it's a constant collaboration between those three things. We actually think about the exam as the four E's, education, foundation, 150 hours, examination, the uniform CBA exam, experience, two years of experience, depending on the state you're in, and then obviously the ethics requirement. So those four areas across 54 licensing jurisdictions compromise how we work on this CPA exam. And it is an exciting time because it's in a state of change that we call CPA evolution. Just to comment quickly on that too, Tom, one of the things about the exam is that it is constantly changing. And and I think that The speed with which change has occurred, say, in the past 25 years compared to the 75 years prior, if we look at 100 years of of the AICPA, as someone who's actually written questions for the CPA exam myself, to see the effort and, and focus that the Institute puts on the timeliness of the questions being provided to those individuals, right? You can imagine a test being taken on paper in 1998 that was very focused on old old school processes and procedures being done from an audit or a financial reporting perspective. Today's exam in 2022, I'll say I haven't taken it is since 2008. The, the joke we have in the profession is that CPA does not just stand for certified public accountant. It also stands for can't pass again, meaning that exam is a one and done type thing in our careers. But today's exam is very much focused on the technological tools that accountants and auditors might need to to use or some of the strategic decisions that are being made from a financial reporting perspective or some of the IT environments that you might be operating in as an accountant, much more than how do we tick and tie a 14-column worksheet. So I'm very proud of the exam, and that might sound a little bit weird, uh, but to see that kind of progress and and continue to change along with the profession, I think is one of the the great hallmarks of of how the Institute administers and and updates that exam for for its members. 
Yeah. And that includes, by the way, uh, an intense practice analysis. So they actually go out to practitioners and firms to find out how it's how they're actually working in public accounting now and what how does that influence the future skills and knowledge needed by future CPA. So that's that's all been done recently. And now we're undergoing this, uh, what we call the CPA evolution project, which has some significant changes that are coming. So the evolution initiative is transforming the CPA licensure model in recognition of the rapidly changing skills and competencies that practice requires today and will require in the future. It, as we said, it's a joint effort of the National Association of State Boards of Accountancy, NASBA, some more acronyms for us, <laughs> and the Institute. It's, it's structured in this new core plus a discipline model for obtaining the CPA license. It starts with a strong core in accounting, auditing, tax, and technology that all candidates will be required to complete. But then in addition, each candidate will also choose a discipline in which to demonstrate a deeper skill and knowledge. The disciplines reflect three pillars of the CPA profession, business analysis and reporting, information systems and controls, and tax compliance and planning. Regardless of the chosen discipline, the model will lead to full CPA licensure with rights and privileges consistent with any other CPA. And a discipline selected for testing will not mean that that CPA is limited to that practice area. And that's important to, to acknowledge. The new version of the Uniform CPA exam will launch in January of 2024, a lot closer than we think. The new version of the Uniform CPA exam will, the exam blueprint will be exposed for public comment on June 27th of this year and finalized in January, 2023. To help faculty, accounting faculty navigate these changes, the Institute has launched an academic resource hub on our website, This Way to CPA, with more than 300 free resources for faculty to integrate in their courses. The AICPA and NASBA also launched a curriculum resource to aid accounting faculty as they work to update their curricula to align with CPA evolution. And more information on the proposed licensure model is at evolutionofcpa.org. We'll send you those links to maybe put in the show notes. You got it. I see Kurt already adjusting his homepage to be evolutionofcpa.org. <laughs> uh, but Tom, I mean, that sounds aggressive, right? And massive. But I remember in the, in the early to mid 2000s, there was an, another significant shift, not only from paper to computerized, but also with the addition of, of some of the kind of practice questions where it was much more of a scenario-based discussion. I got stuck with, and, and I'm not ashamed to say I probably got it wrong, the famous Schedule B farmer's tax return as one of my tax questions, which again, I, I, I recognize the importance of that for, for the agricultural world, but I have not touched a farmer's tax return since for that period. So these changes, although they sound aggressive, I think are, like you said, Tom, part of that evolution, right? Going back to the Institute's mission and that exam following along. But Kurt, I know we could geek out all about the exam <laughs> for the next hour or so, but I want to I pause there. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, I, I haven't thought about the bar exam, you know, putting my sort of lawyer hat on in, in quite a while. I, my recollection is that it's not quite as dynamic as the, you know, the system that you guys are describing to sort of have the actual test react to the world that we're living in. Maybe that's just because 
we keep coming at the same questions <laughs> in different ways. But I think it's really, really fascinating. I guess, you know, a question I would have for you, Tom, is, you know, in addition to sort of assessing technical competencies of the individuals who are, who are sitting for the exam, I, I would guess that that is coupled with some kind of some kind of enforcement element. So I guess, you know, how does the AICPA enforce its its rules or its standards? You know, to whom do those standards apply? And, you know, importantly, what, what does Chris need to be keeping in mind or worrying about? <laughs> well, first of all, let me say it is harder than the bar, by the way. So we'll start with that statement, I think. Chris asked earlier, but I, I think at the core of our professional standards, which is a big part of what the CPA certified public accountant rides on, is the professional code of conduct promulgated by our PEEC. You want some more acronyms? P-E-E-C, the Professional Ethics Executive Committee. So that code of conduct applies to all certified public accountants and is part of all of the standards that we promulgate. So, and that's enforced by a uh, oversight senior committees. There's a joint trial board that would hear cases or ethics complaints as they might be coming. And we also have a, a network called the JEEP program, G-E-E-P, Joint Ethics Enforcement Program. And that's where we actually coordinate with state boards of accountancy, because remember, that's the legal jurisdiction over a CBA. Then you have state CBA societies that are the volunteer groups that advocate on behalf of CBAs and help train them. And then you have all the regulators, you know, you want to so the whole alphabet soup of the regulatory environment at the federal and state level. Let's talk about SEC, DOL, PCAOB, right? Then you, you then you've got all the standards in under the Financial Accounting Foundation, FASB, GASB, and and some more alphabet soup. So if we haven't overwhelmed even a good accounting practitioner with this oversight, you, you'll you'll get the message of what we're doing here. Now, what happens though is there could be complaints that come from any one of these areas. A practitioner violates something in the SEC law. And then that could end up in a complaint followed against their license so that they would then be brought up before the AICBA Joint Trial Board. A state board of accountancy could also enforce against a licensed CBA and often do when you see a complaint that comes from one of those big federal regulators. So interestingly enough, the federal regulators can't take away your license. They can put you in jail but they can't take away your license. Of course, if they put you in jail, the state board will take away your license. <laughs> so only the state boards can actually take away your license, but the AICPA can admonish you from a institute perspective and ban you from membership, which they would then publish should you have that follow on ethics violation. So this kind of network of regulators and legal entities all operate for the most part in conjunction with each other, so that, again, if you were violating a federal law with a regulator, that would then end up probably in that state board that could then remove your license. The AICBA would then take you, your membership away or you would be brought up on ethics violations there. It could come from a complaint someone follows you to the institute or a state CBA society, in which case it would run through our ethics enforcement, or it could go to a state board of accountancy 
which would then become more of a legal matter, but would also often in parallel or after it was de decided upon end up in that membership category among the Institute or the State Seek Bay Society. Kurt, does that kind of mirror, you know, almost verbatim or almost, you know, shot for shot how the bar licensure is from a federal perspective down to, to states and, and everything in between? Yeah, it's very similar. I mean, it sounds like there are more moving pieces on the CPA side in terms of who might step in or to whom might someone, you know, lob in a complaint. But generally, yes, if I if I did something, you know, wrong in an SEC matter, the SEC could could sanction me. You know, that's like a rule 102E style action. It would ultimately be up to, you know, the bars that uh, that where I am a member to to remove my license if they thought that was an appropriate thing to do. So in that respect, it's similar. You know, I was thinking there's there's this story that lawyers tell themselves that, you know, we're the only profession that that eats its own. But it sounds like you do, too. So, you know, that's wonderful news. right? <laughs> Positive outlook on life. Think of policing our, our own. How's that instead of eating? I think our that's own, better. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's a better a spin. Yeah. <laughs> All right, enough doom and gloom on on passing exams and, and being enforced against professional standards, Tom. I want to talk a little bit more about what the AICPA means to the accounting profession and what the Institute does for its members and for the accounting world as a whole. One of the things that struck me when I first got involved with volunteering with the AICPA over a decade ago was the advocacy work of the AICPA. In the Virginia Society of CPAs, a shout out to my VSCPA friends listening along with the podcast. We have a CPA day in January where the association, where the Virginia Society of CPAs coordinates meetings with state legislatures in Richmond to talk about issues facing the CPA profession. That always was an interesting kind of wrinkle to me about the way, Tom, you talk a little bit about how states regulate the license, but also some of the topics and issues that might be coming up to vote it, at state legislatures or in local government that impact CPAs and, and that they should have a voice in, whether or not that vote goes their way. It's important to be heard. And, and I know that some of the CPA groups out there help advocate for that. So, Tom, how does the AICPA, through the Global Association, expand on that idea of advocacy, both here in the U.S. and internationally. So that's a really important concept. And the example that you used in Virginia was one that I was very familiar with in Maryland. It happened to us, and, and we were obviously on the front lines of that. So that is really the, the beauty of how the Institute functions in the U.S. We coordinate very well with all the state CBA societies. So at both the state legislature, the state boards of accountancy, which are an executive branch of a state, and then ultimately to the federal level where we get to Congress. So now that we're global, we've added on to that the global advocacy. And you know that's probably one of the most important pieces of this merger, being almost 700,000 strong. The old adage that there's strength in numbers is a core principle of any advocacy for a profession. So now what you've seen is over the last probably 10 years, a lot of things that are happening overseas have showed up in the U.S. market and vice versa. So not just about accounting, but take, take things like the GDPR that came over from the EU. That's moved into California, the CCP, right? There's all kinds of new privacy legislation popping up. So the way this stuff is working now, it's going both ways. And we need to be on top of that relative to how it impacts our profession. So just take now globally, 
the FRC, which is the regulator of audits in the UK. That's been very instrumental in some of the recent audit issues. And they've advocated for separating audit and consulting, something that we've dealt with over here. And so those are now things that we're weighing in on, on an ongoing regular basis. The newest thing coming into play will be ESG, and that's happening on both sides of the pond, if you will. Again, another perfect timing for us to have that role in advocacy. But let me give you the kind of the overarching way I think about advocacy that we do. If I think about my background, I came from highway construction, manufacturing hot mix asphalt. And so we would build roads and highways. And under every road and highway, as you can see, is all kinds of pipes and infrastructure that support all the cities and areas that that highway serves. And now we often don't pay attention to infrastructure until when it breaks. So right when that kind of that big event happens, a sinkhole, or you get a flood and it, all that breaks up and all of a sudden the infrastructure, the electricity, the cable, the water and sewer break and there's a big crisis. Well, think about the infrastructure of the global economy that rides on a set of pipes. Think of them as regulators, right? U.S. federal regulators, as we just named a whole bunch, SEC, DOL, PCAOB, right? You could go right down that list. There's a whole set of standards that global commerce rides on. Back to your example about we started with this idea of helping communities around commerce. So standards like FASB, GASB, now you have IFAC, the International Federation of Accounting. Now you've got ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board. All that's in play right now. And you need a global advocate to look out for the positions of your profession. And that's what we do. So that's the regulator side, right? Federal and state regulators, standard setters. That's another big pipe under the road. And any one of those, then you have the state-based stuff. That's all the state boards of accountancy, et cetera. So as something happens, and we've had major breaks over time, starting with the SEC failures back in 1933 and 34, we've had the 2008 meltdown Sarbanes-Oxley in 2001 and two, those would be examples of when that infrastructure literally exploded. So we want to be sure that we're trying to be proactive ahead of that. And that's where our advocacy goes. So now we've got the advocacy all through the United States with state CBA societies and us. And we also now have it with our SEMA partners overseas. So we've got that influence certainly in the major UK market but even beyond that into all the other countries that we're now operating in, which is 192 countries. Tom, that's kind of a great breakdown of the meta focus of, of the Institute, the association and SEMA. I like to think kind of in the weeds as well. You know, being a forensic accountant, there are often issues that arise at the state level that could sometimes put questions into the amount of work or the types of work that folks like me can do. One great example here in New York State in 2013, there was a new legislation passed around the private investigator license and that requiring, you know, anyone doing investigative work to be a to be a licensed PI, which is a whole other set of circumstances and focuses beyond what the normal forensic accountant does. The New York State Society of CPAs, I could think we're at acronym what, Kurt, 57 now? 
NYFSCPA advocated for and actually were successful in having, at the time, Governor Cuomo sign a piece of legislation that specifically excluded forensic accountants from that private investigative licensure update. So, you know, a little bit in the weeds on to say the least, but that's an example of where the state societies and, and the AICPA can benefit, you know, forensic accountants like me from being required to be licensed in an area that maybe is only ancillarily related to reviewing the books and records in a specific forensic accounting engagement. I remember too, Tom, there was a significant amount of focus when Dodd-Frank came out in 2010 about how CPAs and accountants would be viewed in the market. And without getting into the thousands and thousands of pages of the Dodd-Frank legislation, that was another issue in which the AICPA stepped in to provide the advocacy or the position of CPAs and its membership to influence or, or to inform the lawmakers as they were pursuing making changes related to that act in 2010. Hey, Chris, I, I could give you two quick examples. Yeah. First of all, I was involved in that exact private investigator in Maryland. Mm -hmm. When I was at the Maryland Association, we had to defeat that. These are what we call unintended consequences. So the legislature is writing legislation all the time to, to deal with some challenge or issue or protect something. And when they write that, they often don't know about all the other laws that they already have on the books that could come into play. And that's what happened there, right? They said, so you have to have a private investigator license to do these kind of services. That happened to include some of the services that CPAs were already doing. And our argument then to the state, the governor was, we're already licensed by the state to do this stuff. Why would we need another license and, you know, that argument carried water. Now, Dodd-Frank, I'll give you one quick example that this is the kind of story most people will never hear about. But during the midst of that, there was a, they were in a hurry to get the legislation done. So they were doing amendments very, very quickly in the White House. And when they're doing amendments like that, not a lot of background is looked at and they happen very quickly. We got a call from the legislative team at the Institute saying, Tom, we need Maryland to talk to your two senators because there's a bill that would actually make a CPA who's involved when a company goes bankrupt on a, on a fraud case, that we're going to make them criminally liable equal to the people at the company that perpetrated the fraud. Now, now we know that's absolutely insane, but in a mix of like, it's coming from a reputable senator, our two senators were friends with that senator and they were likely to vote and they were influential. We were in a town hall, had all of our members stop in the middle of the town hall, call our senators and say, this is what you're thinking about passing. And here's how it will impact us. And they voted against it. And that amendment never saw the light of day. But those are kind of things that we're doing collectively on behalf as state CBA societies and the Institute on our members every day. Of course, now we're doing it on a global basis. All right, we've covered a lot of ground today just in terms of, you know, what the association does, the sort of framework for setting standards and making sure that CPAs are behaving themselves out there in the in the marketplace. Tom, are there some other programs or resources that are available through the association that that we've missed and that you want to highlight for listeners? I think there's a, a couple that are like really top of mind that many many listeners might not know in the normal course of things. You know, one is the movement in ESG, and that's a big one. We just held our first ESG symposium, and the uh, Institute started a accelerator for ESG startup tech companies. 
And so we're beginning to explore actually the bigger stakeholder world we're in as well as doing that. And and it's worth people knowing that the Institute has actually been involved in that for over 10 years. We were instrumental in the Integrated Reporting Consortium, the IIRC, that has since become, let's get some more acronyms in, that since became the Value Reporting Foundation, the VRF. And then those are all moving and going to be coming under the new ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, which is underneath of IFAC. So that's going to be the governing body of global sustainability. And our hope as a profession is to advocate for one set of good global standards that everyone can get around. And then obviously that we think about the measurement of those standards for reliability. So we believe there should be a role for auditors, just like financial statements, in auditing those standards so that we now can rely on one set of standards in the future. Right now, there's all kinds of noise about conflicting standards. And in any given day, you're seeing somebody say, I have this ESG score versus this one, and that's all working out right now. We are at the front of that discussion and intend to stay very proactive so that we know where our profession's place in that is from a future financial reporting perspective. So I think that's a one that you should be following. The other one that's, that's pretty exciting is our work in the tech space. Obviously, blockchain and cryptocurrencies, of course, now it's required disclosure on an IRS tax return. So that's been a steady moving piece. And through our subsidiary, CPA.com at the Institute, that group held a has held several crypto blockchain symposiums. We're members of the Wall Street blockchain analysis. We, we have a couple of working groups with not just our profession, auditors and accountants and advisors, but also other stakeholders like Wall Street companies, et cetera, that are talking about what this all means to financial reporting. And back to Chris's beginning at the, at the start, we're going from potentially double ledger reporting to triple ledger reporting when we start thinking about blockchain and crypto. So we're, we're trying to stay ahead of that. They also created a accelerator for tech companies in accounting and audit, and that tech companies accelerators now, I think in its fifth year, we've got a whole bunch of cohorts that present every year to a group of advisors and talk about where they're, they're headed. And that starts to begin to form ways for these companies to reach the accounting profession. So the kind of continued interplay of technology, accounting, and standards is an area that we're trying to stay on the forefront of, and you'll see more of that as you follow things we're doing. Yeah, those are interesting notes. I mean, those are things that we that we're following here at Insecurities as well. I mean, certainly on the ESG front, we've had a number of episodes where we've talked about it. You know, mm -hmm. with Commissioner Lee and Commissioner Purse and Mark Sheff, and a, a few times with George Wilson as well as as Wes Bricker. But we're also watching to see what this climate disclosure rule is going to look like when it comes out from the SEC. And then on the technology piece, I know Chris, we've talked about maybe doing an accounting for crypto style episode coming up. So sounds like. Sounds like we may have to stay on top of that. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Kurt. One of the things I want to bring up too is that this is not new for the AICPA. Tom, you remember back at National Harbor, maybe in 2014, thankfully you invited me to speak at what they called at the time the DCPA, the Digital CPA Conference. So this is 10, 11 years ago when developments around automation and a lot of the things that auditors used to be charged with, right? Going through and checking individual source documents back in 
can imagine Bob Cratchit underneath Ebenezer Scrooge's thumb having to count all these out. We're now at a place where technology does a lot of that for us. So the digital CPA program started, say, 15 years ago, was a, a yeah. focus point for how do we equip and acknowledge the issues that accountants are facing from a technological perspective? And how do we flip that from a challenge to an opportunity for, for CPAs and, and members to grow and, and advise their clients better? When blockchain went from fad to staple technology, if you will, and, and we'll leave crypto aside for a second, AICPA was already there, right? And thinking about how these automated issues are coming out for, for accounts. There was a time when all of us accountants and auditors were afraid we'd be replaced by servers, right? These, these blockchain groups just keeping tabs on everything for us. So we didn't have to. But it's really kind of followed, Tom, one of the things I know the ICPA has been focused on, especially as I was coming up, right? Kind of from 1990s to, say, 2020, there's been a pretty significant shift in the accounting messaging around what accountants do, right? It used to be tabulation and and in addition. And that phrase, quote, trusted business advisors, end quote, is something that the AICPA has really leaned into. So as you talk about ESG and the development of legislation or rules around that, as we discuss what blockchain and crypto is going to mean for the markets, I think that follows along very closely with where the AICPA was thinking 10, 20 years ago, where accounts were going to be. So Hats off, Tom. I know I know you weren't a part of the Institute or you weren't a part of the association back then, but that's something that I know you've been a leader in over that period. Do you see that continuing in terms of where the AICPA, the association and SEMA are going to be in the years to come? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's part of the reason we merged together like that so that we'd have that, again, influence, right? And clout in the market with that body of professionals. And a lot of that I have to attribute to our CEO, Barry Malazza. And he's been leading that charge ever since I was at the Maryland Association of CPAs. And that a lot of that progressive thinking came from him and continues to come from him. So I think you're right. We will aspire to stay ahead of the fast world of commerce, which we have to change at the speed of business in order to be relevant as a profession in the future. That's true for the management accounting side, our CGMAs, as well as our CPAs. And so that's what's exciting time for me to be part of the Institute and the association as we go forward. And not to to harp too much on it, Tom, we mentioned that you were rated as the number two most influential accountant in Accounting Today magazine. You mentioned Barry Malansat. He has been constantly rated as number one, the CEO of, of the Institute. So great, great to give Barry a shout out here. Well, Tom, you know, I'm always happy to get to work with you again. And I think, Kurt, I don't know if you had the trophy made yet, but we'll be sure to send it to you, Tom, for episode with the most acronyms discussed. This is going to be tough to beat. We're going to need some really wonky, say, government uh, government contracting accountant or lawyer giving us some DCAA yeah. words down the road. But, Tom, it's been great to talk with you today. Thank you for sharing your focus with the association, the Institute, SEMA. Any final thoughts for our listeners out there for insecurities? I think I just hope, I mean, this has been an amazing time to get to spend with you guys. I appreciate it, Chris. It's great to catch back up. I just hope everyone sees how much that we're trying to work on this global profession and staying ahead of this stuff proactively, anticipating what's coming and beginning to stay on that path, in addition to keeping up with all the things that we have to do every day. But our, our goal is to continue to see if we can power this idea of trust opportunity and prosperity for our members and the broader communities we live and serve and work in. 
That's right, Tom. And, and for those listeners more interested in the evolution of the CPA profession, the foundation of some of the things we talked about today, we'll be putting all of that information on the Insecurities website and in this episode show notes. So feel free to, to click over. Tom, so great to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Insecurities Podcast. And a special thanks to our guest, Tom Hood of the Association of International Certified Professional Accountants. As always, we want to hear from you regarding your thoughts, comments, and topics for discussion on future episodes of Insecurities. Please use the hashtag InsecuritiesPod on Twitter or LinkedIn to join the conversation. You can find me at CPA, And I'm at Enforce underscore Update. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Insecurities Podcast wherever you listen. Be well, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Insecurities, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. PLI is a nonprofit provider of authoritative professional services training and continuing education. In an increasingly complex business environment where intricate corporate structures reign, Insecurities can help you make sense of it all. A special thanks goes to the producer of Insecurities, Daniel Pinitz, as well as hosts Chris Ekimoff and Kurt Wolf. For more information about PLI's SEC Institute, or to view hundreds of hours of fresh and relevant on-demand programming covering changes within the security sector, visit pli.edu membership and sign up for a privileged membership. These recorded materials are designed for educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal, audit, tax, consulting, business, financial, investment, or other professional advice, and it does not create an attorney-client relationship. Please consult a qualified professional advisor before taking any action based on the information herein. Furthermore, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual participants. These views are not the views of the hosts or their employers. Users of this podcast may save and use the podcast only for personal or other non-commercial educational purposes. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission from PLI.